we'll turn our attention this morning to James chapter 4, starting at verse number 7. Very familiar passage of scripture here. James writes, starting at verse number 7, he says, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Very uplifting passage, I know, for a Sunday morning. Thought we would start on a high note there. So, Brother Jason, from here, we can only go uphill. But it seems like a very, very gloomy passage of Scripture. He's speaking very pointedly. He started off pretty good, resist the devil and he will flee. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. It sounds pretty good. Even cleanse your hands, you feel like that's pretty good. But then he says, you sinners. And then he says, purify your hearts. It's a good thing. And then he follows it up with, you double-minded people. So it seems like it's a little, it's a little harsh. James is often referred to as kind of the New Testament Proverbs. Very applicable, very very wisdom-like in his writing. And so he, he gives us a lot of things that, are able to, that we're able to apply in everyday life. And so as you start to see this, you think to yourself, okay, well, maybe I'm, maybe I'm not the ranked sinner that he's referring to. Maybe I'm not the double-minded. But I want us to dig into this a little bit today. Because as you read this passage, James Right at the very end there, he says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. And so you see that at, at the beginning, James starts it, he says, Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. And then at the end, he says, Humble yourself, and he'll lift you up. So you automatically you see this closeness of God. And so for the next few moments, I, I want to just talk to us about the verge. The verge. This passage mirrors what was written in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Verse 14, another familiar passage of Scripture. It says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. James is writing about this humility, about a humble heart. It's, he's, he's getting down into the very nitty-gritty of life instead of just saying, you know, we like, to, we like to think that if I draw near to God and I resist the devil, that all of these things are great and they're good. But he said there's more to it than that because he said it's not just the outward of what you're doing, but in fact, he says it's that inward humble heart. He said it's that, he said it's that attitude of the heart that has to be right before you can ever do anything else. It's the attitude of the heart. It's that humility because as you draw close to God, that drawing is the attitude that you're reflecting. Whenever you begin to draw near to God, something starts to happen that you start to get closer to a holy God. And so something starts to happen that the light of God starts to reflect in your life and you start to notice maybe some of the things in your own life that, that we're not so, not so proud of. And so whenever God starts calling us, whenever he calls us to draw near to me, this is his desire. From the very outset of humanity, it was God's desire. He said, I want to be close to you. When he created Adam and Eve, said that he would walk with them in the cool of the day. He desired to be close to his creation because he loved them. He said, I love you so much. He said that I want to spend time with you. He said, I want to commune with you. I want to know you and I want you to know me. And so he called out to humanity. So after, after Adam breaks the line and God is now separated from humanity, it is now 
the mission of God that he says, I want that closeness again. He said, I want to draw near to you. I want you to draw near to me. He said, but we've got to get some things right. Because whenever we start drawing near to God, it's that intimacy that he desires with humanity. It's that intimacy that he desires. But James outlines for us how we do this, how we get the heart right first. He says how we get that attitude right of the heart. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Paul writes, he says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's resisting the devil. If I walk in the Spirit, then everything that the devil lays in my path, as long as I'm walking in the Spirit, I'm not going to fulfill those fleshly desires. So when Satan comes to sift me as wheat, as long as I'm walking according to the Spirit, I can resist those things, and he will flee. Because if he doesn't make progress in your life, eventually, he's a quitter. He's a quitter. He's a coward. If he's not making progress, he finds an easier target. He's the bully on the playground that if he sees, if he sees the weak kid, that's the one that he goes for, not the one that stands up for themselves. He doesn't go after the guy that, that squares his shoulders back and says, let's go. But in fact, he looks for the one that cowers back. So the minute you start to walk in the spirit, see, then you're all of a sudden you start fulfilling the scripture that says it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So whenever you walk according to the Spirit of God, you're able to resist the fleshly desires and the temptations and the things that comes your way because you're resisting the devil. And eventually he says, I'll go find another target. So you follow after what James is saying. You go through the purification process. David wrote in Psalm chapter 24. He said, who will ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who will stand in his holy place? He that has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul unto vanity or to an idol, and who has not sworn deceitfully. So as David writes, he says, who's going to actually be able to do this? He said, you have to have the clean hands. That's why James wrote, he said, cleanse your hands and purify your heart. Create in me a clean heart, God, and renew a right spirit within me. Because if my spirit's not right, if my hands aren't right, if my mind's not right, I cannot, I cannot rightfully approach the throne room of God. Because even while grace is there. And yes, we can the Bible says that we can boldly approach the throne of grace. We have to do it recognizing the sin and the things in our own life that would deter us. Because if I come to God so arrogantly thinking, well your grace is sufficient. He says my grace is there as long as you recognize what's in your own life. Grace is not a limitless credit card that I continually swipe and just say he's covered it. He's covered it. He's covered it, but in fact it's something that I have to say, God, I know my heart's not always right. God, I know my mind doesn't always stay fixed on the things of you. So, God, I need you to cleanse my heart. I need you to purify my mind. Create in me. That's why David, David wasn't making a statement. He was making a plea to God. Create in me a clean heart. God, renew a right spirit within me. It was something he was longing for. It was something that he wanted. Because that's how you stand in the holy place of God. That's how you start to draw near to God. It's getting that attitude of the heart right that you start to turn your mind and your heart towards God. But it wasn't just the cleansing of the heart or the mind. We have to humble this flesh. That's a hard thing to do. That's a hard thing to do for us to be able to humble ourselves. Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, he says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. See, and so many times, Brother Tom, we get this backwards that I want to exalt myself. I want to lift myself up and then pray that God blesses me while I'm here. But as long as I did this, he can't do it. 
As long as I've exalted myself and as long as I've lifted myself up and I'm stuck on myself, I've tied his hands because he cannot bless what I have built. But he can bless what he has. And so it's I've got to humble myself. I've got to be able to stand back and recognize in my own life, God, this isn't about me. From day one, from the very day you created me, from the first time I breathed my first breath, God, it was never about me. But he saw me so far back on the cross, and he said, I have a plan and a purpose. He said, it was not about you, but it's about my glory and about my kingdom. So humbling ourselves, it's a difficult thing because it's contrary to human nature. It's contrary to the human mind to want to play second fiddle to anything or anybody. Because immediately we, we are self-seeking. It's the way that we are designed. It's the way that we're wired in our brains as we are self-seeking and self-promoting. And therefore, and all of us at some point in time, even right now, undoubtedly there's someone in the room saying, well, I'm not like that. I, I'm not. I'm the most humble person I know. If you have to tell someone. We use that logic at work a lot of times. Well, I'm a great worker. If you have to announce it, probably not. Because now you're not only trying to convince everyone else, but saying it out loud, you're trying to convince yourself. Brother Kenny, I'm very humble. Probably the most humble person I know. Right? It's hard to humble ourselves especially before God, which is, doesn't seem right, Brother Scott, because he's the one that sees all my dirty laundry. He sees everything. Yet it's so hard for me to humble myself and take a knee and say, God, I, I can't get this right all the time. I, I need your help. I need you to lift me up. I need you to be my strength and not me. So as I start to do this, as I start to follow the pattern that God laid out, it's not just a one and done process, but in fact, it's a cyclical process that I continually ask God, God, make sure my heart's right. God, make sure my mind is right. God, keep me humble. God, keep me humble and in a place that I always recognize you as who you are and who you should be in my life because that continual persistence of the mind and of the heart, that attitude towards God, it's a continual process. And as I keep this, as long as I maintain that mindset and that attitude, God continually draws me in closer to Him. But the minute that I think that, well, I did that already and now I'm ready, then immediately I've put up a wall. I've put up that barrier that once separated myself and God. I've done it again because I feel like I've arrived. The only time I have arrived is when I hear the pearly gates click behind me. Until then, I am human. I am flesh and bone. And I need a God that will continually work on my heart and my mind. And that will continue to draw me into him because that's what he's desiring of his people. He says, I don't want there to be a wedge between us. He says, but in fact, he said, I want to be as close as the mention of my name. See, because sometimes we take that scripture and we say, well, he's as close as the mention of his name. And so I, I call on the name Jesus and he's there. But he can't always work through that because of the things in my life. Because of the sin that separates me from him. Because of the mindset that separates me from him. Well, God, I need you to move here. But that's it. And he's saying, I'm, he's saying, I want to get close, but not just in some areas. He said, I want to be close to everything. I want to be a part of every aspect of your life. He said, so I want you to draw near to me so that I can draw near to you. So once I get the attitude right, 
Once I get the mindset right, then I've got the action. See, that was just all dealing with the mind and the heart. And you start there because that's the hardest. Because if I start with the action, everyone can see it, including myself, and I feel like I'm doing okay. But I've got to get my mind right. I've got to get my heart right because the Bible says the heart is deceitfully wicked and who can know it? So I can feel like my heart is right and start seeking God. That's the action. If you're going to draw near to God, you've got to seek Him. You've got to actively look for God and find Him in your life. Because otherwise, if my attitude's wrong and my mind is wrong, I'm going to be seeking Him but for the wrong reasons. I'm going to seek Him when I need Him and I'm going to seek Him for His hand of blessing but never for the hand of correction. None of us would ever seek the hand of correction, but if my mind is right and God wants to steer me in a different direction, now it's not correction, but it's guidance. See, it's interesting how we look at that, isn't it? A guardrail is there to protect you when it's on the side of a cliff somewhere. But if you're a reckless driver and all of a sudden that, that guardrail causes you to flip because you hit it, well, it was the guardrail's fault. Well, no, it was the driver's fault. And we look at this that God occasionally wants to redirect us. But if my mind isn't right while I'm seeking him and he tries to redirect my path, then it hurts because my heart's not where it needs to be. So as I identify the gap between myself and God and I get the mind right, now I start seeking him. And I go beyond what James later calls out in his chapter. I go beyond just religious rituals and routines. Because seeking God goes beyond coming to church on Sunday or on a Wednesday, lifting my hands, feeling a little bit, and then going home. That's not seeking God. That's just being a part of a ritual. We have routine here that undoubtedly next service will happen, and we know the order of the service that it will go. And we know when to lift our hands, and we know when to sit down, and when to listen, and when to stand up. We know when pastors start stomping a little bit, then we should clap. And maybe you missed it because you, were, you had checked out for just a minute. I'll be perfectly honest. I've been there once or twice that I hear other people clapping, I'm like, what'd he say? Right, because it happens. Can we just be honest? It happens sometimes that your mind wanders for a minute, and so we go through the ritual. We go through the routine of church. But my heart's not really seeking after God. My life isn't seeking after God as I need it to, because without Him, I'm nothing. Paul wrote, he said, it's in him that we move and we live and we have our being. So without God, I'm dead. I'm dormant. I'm no longer going anywhere, doing anything. I'm no longer alive. And so the minute that I get locked in routine and not actually seeking after God, then I've missed it. Isaiah 55 and 6, Isaiah writes, he says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. So that suggests that there are moments in time where you will call on the Lord and he may not hear. And we like to think that, well, no, that, that's not accurate. Brother Scott, he'll always hear me when I call. And it's true. He will hear, but how will he respond? Because if I've tied the hands of God because of the sin or because of the things in my life, because of my actions, and sometimes, just to be clear, sometimes it may not be sin, Brother Kenny. You may be doing everything right, but it may be a mindset that I just get locked in and I come to church and I do what I know to do. And so then whenever I call on God, someone's sick in my family and I call for healing and God says, who are you again? Because I'm, I'm calling for the power of God, but that's because all I've been seeking is the power of God and not the face of God. See, because when I seek the face of God, everything else comes with it. But when I seek the power of God, then there's several things that I miss. 
Because while his power is good and while his presence is good, it's more than just his presence that I want to feel. It's more than just his power that I want to see demonstrated because more than anything, this isn't about us just having a great move of God. This is about my heart and my life being prepared and ready for the rapture. That is my first and foremost goal. Above everything else, even the man of God that sits right here before the church is ready, his heart has to be ready. And so therefore, while we're here, before I ever seek the power of God to move on someone's life, I've got to seek the face of God. I've got to call upon Him while He's near to me. Because there may be moments where I feel like He's a long way off. And I've got to know that if my heart's right, He's right there with me. I may not hear Him. I may not see Him. I may not feel Him. But I know He's there. So therefore, I have to call upon Him while He's near to me. So my heart has to be right. I've got to seek your face, oh God. I cannot seek your hand. I cannot seek your power. I cannot seek your favor. It lifts, I seek your face. Jeremiah 29, starting at verse number 13, he says, And you will seek me and you will find me. When you search for me with all your heart. See why you have to get the heart right and the mind right? You've got to get the attitude right. He says, because when you seek me, you will find me with all of your heart. So when you search for me with all of your heart, not just the broken pieces that I want you to fix, because this area is okay. The finances are all right right now, but God, I've got some other issues that I need you to work with. God says, I need you to seek me with everything inside of you. Because when I seek you with all of my heart, I will find you. God says, I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. So many times... We get trapped in our own mind. We are held captive by thoughts and situations in our life that we don't even see it holding us captive. We see it almost as a protection. We see the way that we think, well, that keeps me, I think this way because it keeps me from getting hurt. Well, no, you think that way because you have been hurt. You think this way or you react this way because you have been hurt, not in fear of getting hurt. It's because you have been and now that holds you hostage. And God says, if you'll seek me with everything, he said, with the broken pieces and with the hurt pieces and with the parts of your life that you don't want anybody else to know about. He says, that's when I need that humble spirit and that transparent heart. Because when you seek me this way, he says, I can pull you out of that captivity. He said, I can take the broken things in your life and I can rebuild them. He says, I can take the hurt things in your life. He said, I'm the healer. That's why this is such a powerful scripture. I've just been mulling it over in my mind for the last several weeks. It says, Isaiah wrote, he said, and the stripes that were laid upon his back were for our healing. For no other reason, he did not have to take the whipping. He did not have to take the beating. But the stripes that were laid upon his back that nearly killed him before he ever got to the cross. He said, I took that only because I wanted you to know that I am a healer of the body and of the mind and of the spirit. He said, I'm a healer. This is why I did this. He said, so I need you to take that healing and apply it to your life. He said, so take the broken pieces, take the hurt things in life. He says, and seek me with all of your heart so that I can pull you out of that captivity that you've been locked in. I've got to seek him. I've got to seek him. Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 6. He said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things. He didn't even care to classify what they were. He just says things, stuff. Stuff is what you have in the junk drawer. 
Stuff is what is still boxed up in your basement or in the garage after you moved 10 years ago. Stuff, things, junk, right? This is why we have storage units. One of the largest booming industries right now in America is a storage unit company. It's because of the fact that people have stuff. We acquire more and more stuff. We acquire things. We are a thing-oriented people. And we like our things so much that I don't want to get rid of my things in case I want my things later. So I will buy a thing that's big enough to house all my things. And then eventually someone's going to say, do you have, you know what, I do. Hang on. It'll take me about three days, but I'll find it. Right? These are the things that Jesus is speaking about. He says, seek first my kingdom. He said, and all the stuff that you want, all the stuff that you can acquire. Notice he never condemned it. He never, can, he never once condemned the things in life. He said, seek me first. He said, and then all the things, he said, I'll add it back. So he was never saying, get rid of all the things. So you see some of these people that go on poverty strikes and different things, and I'm, I'm selling everything. And we're, my family and I are going to live in a refrigerator box outside the church. Just in case God speaks, I want to be there. Right? And you hear about people that just absolutely just tank their life. And God said, I never asked you to get rid of everything. He said, I just asked you to seek me with your whole heart. See, but that's a problem. Because where my heart is, that's also where the treasure is. See, and so that's why it's difficult sometimes. Because whenever I have to seek him with my whole heart, I have to seek him with all my things. And I have to say, God, if you do want to take it, it's yours. God, if you do want to see, that's seeking God. That's seeking the face of God. Because if I'm seeking the favor of God, I'm looking for more things. I'm looking for him to bless me with that million dollar check. I'm looking, for, I'm looking for somebody just to walk up as I walk into the bank to make that car payment. And somebody says, how much do you owe? Here's a check. Glory. I'll shout with the teller. We'll have church right there in the lobby. I'm waiting for my bank to say something got messed up and the house is paid off. Paid in full. Glory. Right? But then the problem is we're all like, we're going on vacation. Woo! Thank you, Jesus. You build the church, I'll be in Florida. Hallelujah. Right? It's the problem, right? That we're thing-oriented. Because God gives us a tax return and we go, thank God. Thank God. Now we can buy that new $1,000 iPhone. Whoo, thank you, Jesus, right? Now I'm going to go on that vacation that I wanted. I've earned this. The IRS owed me. Uncle, it's not me. Uncle Sam's paying for my vacation, right? We justify it that way, too. Uncle Sam's taking care of us. Go on vacation. Do it. But not at the expense of God. Not at the expense of the church. Not at the expense of your relationship with God. Because we get thing-oriented. Simple. Yet profound, right? That it's the things that weigh us down. This is why it was written, lay aside every weight and sin that so easily besets you. Because whenever you lay aside the sin, that's an easy thing to do. You come to an altar and you repent and boy, it feels good. But laying aside the weight, sometimes it's the things that I love. It's the things that I want to keep. It's the things that I like. But when God calls me to lay that on the altar, now it's a little bit more difficult. But when we do, he says, now you're seeking me with your whole heart. So now you're seeking me with everything about you because that passion and that desire that God puts inside of humanity and it gets pressed down by so much stuff is because we're trying to fill a void sometimes that God says, if you will seek me first, he said, I'll fill the void. 
There's this drawing of humanity that's looking for something greater and something supernatural and powerful. The world is enamored right now with the supernatural. They're enamored with the supernatural. This is why there's so many shows and movies and talk shows and podcasts and everything else that's all about the supernatural because they're craving something beyond this world. But they can't figure it out. And God's saying, if you'll seek me, you'll find me. He said, if you draw near to me, he said, I make a promise, I'll draw near to you. So yet, it's, we struggle at times. But once we start to seek God, the face of God and nothing else. If I can tell you, seek the face of God. Take a week. Don't pray for needs. Don't pray for anything else. God, I want to see your face. God, I just want to be in your presence. God, I just want to know you and I want you to know me with everything about me. I want to know your heart. I want to know your mind. God, I want to spend so as much time as I can with you. God, I want to know you. I want to draw near to you. Take a week and just do that. Put every need aside, everything else. God will take care of it because sometimes we think, well, if I don't pray for this, he won't take care of it. God knew it before it was there. God knew the sickness before it was ever in their body. God knew the financial need before the job was ever lost. He said, I know the end from the beginning. He said, so if you'll seek my face and draw near, what happens is a reaction comes out of God. It's something that he can't help. It's something that overwhelms him because when his people seek him, he sits on the edge of his seat and he says, now I'm coming for you. Now I'm waiting for you. He says, I've been waiting for a long time. He's like the prodigal son's father. That he stood there on the porch waiting. The Bible says that the father saw the son coming a long way off. Because he was standing there, he was waiting for his son to come back, for his son to draw near to him again. God's standing on the porch waiting for all of humanity, waiting for the church to say, we will draw near to you. Because when we draw near to him, his heart overwhelms and he runs. He goes beyond everything else and he runs towards you. And he embraces you and he holds you in his arms. And now you're face to face with God. And something happens. Something happens. Because as the church gets closer to God, as the individual saint gets closer to God, a reaction comes out of God and he starts to move in the lives of his people. As Moses drew near to God on the mountain, he kept asking him, he said, I want to see you, I want to see you, God, I want to see you. And he said, he said, you can see me from the back, that's all. And just that in and of itself, Moses' face glowed with the glory of God as he walked down the mountain. So much to the point that he had to veil his face because of the glory of God that radiated off of him. God, help us as a church to get to the place where your glory radiates off of every saint in this church. That when we walk through the cities, when we walk through the mall, when we walk through Walmart, when we go to the high schools or the colleges or to our jobs, that God, that your glory would radiate through us and that people would see it and be drawn to your presence. Because this is the reaction that when we draw near to God and he draws near to us, we come to the verge of revival. We come to the verge of a place that now we are at a point where we walk forward into something that we've never been to before or we camp out at a place where we get locked in ritual and routine. Because it's comfortable right now. It's comfortable right now. We're okay camping on the side of the mountain because it's comfortable. The breeze blows in from God and every now and then like last Sunday, 
the wind of God blows in this place and it begins to move and work on hearts and it's comfortable because when that happens, we feel good. We feel revived and it carries over into a Monday night. But he's saying, will you continually draw near to me? Because if we continually draw near to God, he says, then something will happen. Something will happen that it will take you to a place that you've never been. Because when you're on the verge of revival, we get locked in camping between the presence or the gift of God and the presence, the surrounding glory of God. Because as you draw near to Him, you step boldly into the throne room of grace. But now it's with the right heart and you've been looking for it. You don't stumble upon it, but in fact you find it because you've been looking for it. You find the face of God not on accident, but because you've been seeking and searching for God to move in your life. Because as you draw near to Him, He spoke and He said, I am the light of the world. But then eventually He changed it to His disciples and He looked at them and He said, You are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill that cannot be hid. But see, the only light that we are to the world is what's reflected in us. And so if I am so distant from God, then all I am is just a flickering candle in a dark world somewhere that occasionally they see something spark. But the closer I get to God, and the closer I get to Him, now all of a sudden that light is such a strong reflection in my life that it's no longer a flickering candle, but in fact it's a burning torch that the world can see. And as, they, as you walk through the world, they see it, and they see the glow about you. It's something different about you, and they say, I need that because I've been wandering in darkness, and you lit up my path when you crossed it. They said, I saw what I needed just long enough because you were here. You see, that's why the mind's got to be right. That's why the heart's got to be right. Because God's saying, I need you to do this. Because in 2 Corinthians, Paul wrote, he said, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Moses had to veil that glory because humanity was not ready for that yet. But God said, because of what I have accomplished on Calvary, because I have made a way for humanity to find me, He said, now my glory is reflected in you. He said, so go ahead and peel back the veil. Let the world see the glory of God in your life. Let them see the very image of God in the world around you. He said, because you are that reflection, and the closer you get, the more accurate that reflection is of Him. See, because if you hold a light way back and cast a shadow of something, it gets very fuzzy. And it's not very clear and you can't really tell what it is. But the closer you get with the source of light onto somebody's life, all of a sudden every outline is perfectly detailed and you can almost draw it out to see the perfect silhouette. This is what, this is what humanity is. This is what the church is to the world. Is that God shines a light through us and they see the image of God. But the farther I am, the more blurry the image gets. And unfortunately, what happens is the image doesn't just blur and they think they see God, but now they're starting to see some of humanity and some of God. This is how some people in the world get such a disdain for church life. It's because there's a blurred line between my humanity and the nature of God. Because I draw near to God and they see Him, and then I draw, and then I draw away from God and they see me. 
And Brother Scott, without the glory of God, I'm nothing. I don't want humanity to see me. I don't want them to see my example because I'll lead them down the wrong path. I don't trust my own heart. I don't trust my own mind. But the closer I am to God, then I do trust that because now it's His glory that's reflected in my life. It's His Spirit that's leading me to somebody that I need to talk to. It's His Spirit that's directing my path. And so now whenever I draw closer to God, something starts to happen in my life. As the church draws closer to God, something reflects inside of the church. And now we start to reflect the glory of God into a world that is so dark and so messed up right now. Many have probably heard about the story of Alfie, a little boy over in the UK. Because of the society we live in, he was denied medical treatment. Another neighboring country, Italy, said we will offer him free medical care. We will fly him here on our dime. We will take care of him. And the government said no. And they pulled him off life support. And they said he'll die within hours. He lived for five days. Struggling to breathe. Not eating. And you say, well, that's heavy-handed. You're playing on emotions. No, I'm giving you the reality of the world that we live in. And in a world this dark, it needs a church so bright that's shining into a world because without the church, they do not see the glory of God. It's veiled and they cannot find it anywhere. So now it's up to us to unveil the glory of God and allow it to shine through our life because when we unveil the glory of God, something happens in a world that so desperately needs Him. So as His glory is revealed... So is revival. Revival is the revealing of God's glory in His people. It's His presence. It's His all-abiding presence. It's His majestic glory that begins to move on humanity. This is what revives the soul. It's not a special speaker. It's not just one event. Revival is the moving of God's spirit upon humanity that all of a sudden it breathes life into someone again. And it revives their spirit because they've been dead for so long. God says, I'm looking to revive somebody again. He said, I'm looking. He said, at that chart, he said, I want to see that chart start to go again. He said, the world has flatlined for too long. He said, I need you to shock the world and I need you to show them the glory that I have in their life. He said, jumpstart that spiritual heart again. Let them see me and what I can do in their life. Because when the glory of God is revealed and the revival of God is revealed in the church and every saint individually, something starts to happen. And you start to get in tune with the glory of God. You start to get in tune with His voice. And now you're on the same wavelength that every time God speaks, you hear it and you know where to go. You hear all of these great men and women of God that speak about being led of the Spirit of God. And they say, God spoke to me and so I went. The church needs to get to a place. I need to get to a place where I'm on the same wavelength where God speaks and I respond when God speaks and I answer when God speaks and I follow that leading because as the spirit of God leads me I need to have enough faith and enough trust in God to know it's not me but it's you because as we're led of the spirit we hear his voice calling to us Isaiah wrote he said your ears shall hear a word behind you saying this is the way walk in it whenever you turn to the right hand or to the left and whenever you go he said said I need you to hear my voice because when you hear the voice of God speaking it's because you're close it's because you're close there's a communication model that is taught there is a sender 
a receiver, and everything in between is noise. And so it's taught to every public speaker. It's taught to every communicator that you need to eliminate as much noise as possible. Because if there's noise between the sender and the receiver, the message gets construed. And so God is saying, I'm speaking very vividly to my church. He said, but there's been some noise there at times. He said, because it's been your ideas, it's been concepts of revival. It's been outreach models that we could follow. It's been a book that we could read. And then we have revival. He said, get rid of the noise and listen to my voice. See, because revival doesn't come from just a book. Revival doesn't come from just one event. Revival comes from the Spirit of God moving into a congregation and reviving them again and begin to glow with the glory of God. And as He speaks, we follow. This is how revival starts. It doesn't come from anything else because you look at the history of the great revivals, even in the United States that you look, it didn't come that, Brother Tom, they didn't have good postcards. They didn't have a Facebook page that they could invite people to. They didn't have an Instagram page where they could tell somebody about it or a great website where you can hear the messages before you come in just in case you need to feel it out a little bit. All it was was the Spirit of God that had impassioned people and that had saturated their heart. And because they were listening to the voice of God, it wasn't about them men would stand behind milk crates and hide as they would preach the word of God because they didn't want it to be about them. They didn't want it to be about their humanity, but they said, I need God to be reflected here. And so you see that some of the greatest revivals that have ever been sparked in this nation have never started with this great thought out plan. I'm not saying we shouldn't plan. I think we should. We should have a strategic plan. Sister Andrea, Brother Joe, we should have a plan for Rock of Block, but we should also have a plan for the revival that follows Rock of Block. We should plan for not only what God can do, but we should plan for what God will do. Because this is what God does. Is he, whenever he speaks, he says, I'm trying to get you ready. I'm trying to get your heart. I want you to hear me. I want you to know me, what I have for your life, what I have for my church. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 27, he said, my sheep hear my voice. And they know it. And they know it. So many in this generation have misconstrued the voice of God with the voice of culture. With the voice of humanity. They've heard what everyone else is doing and so it must work. And God said, but if you draw near to me, he said, you get rid of the noise and you hear my voice. We've turned to books and self-help studies and all of the different things in the podcast to make us better. But God says, if you'll put away all of the noise and just listen for my voice, He said, I will speak to you and you'll know that it's me. You'll know that it's me. God's looking for us to draw near to Him as we all stand together. God lays out all throughout His Word the pathway to revival. You will never stumble upon revival if you've been in prayer. If you've been seeking the face of God, you will never stumble upon revival and go, how did we end up here? Because it's been expected. It's been anticipated. You know because God already spoke it to you. God already spoke it to this man and he preached it over this sacred desk. He already spoke a word to the church and said, God gave me a word and this is it. And so if we've been in tune with God and we've been listening for the voice of God, we say, that's right, because I felt that in prayer. 
I heard that for myself. I didn't rely just on him, but God spoke it to me. He said, I'm going to send a revival. He said, I'm going to send my spirit into the city of Highland. And through the apostolic revival church, he said, I'll send it through you if you listen, if you draw near to me. Because God is drawing the church for the ultimate day in Revelation 21 verse 3. It says, and I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. He said, I'm looking for the day that all of humanity turns and looks and sees me for who I am. From the moment that closeness was broken with God, the mind of God was already at work planning how I draw them back to me. Because of the ultimate day that the eastern sky splits and he draws the church back home. You see, and here's the thing. Sometimes I almost wonder, Brother Tom, if I get it in my own mind that as he draws the church, that no matter where I am, no matter how far I've drifted, he'll still draw me. But I don't want to have to vaguely listen for the trump of God. I don't want to vaguely have to hear God saying, come on home, son. Come on home, son. I'm ready for you now. I finished your temple. I finished everything that needs to be done. I want you to come on home, Brother Scott. I don't want to barely hear the voice of God and think I know. I want to be so close to God that as the moment starts, I recognize it. And then that instant, I'm caught up in the twinkling of an eye, forever drawn into the presence of God, forever drawn into the glory of God, and see the fruits of a revival that started right here. That we can say, I remember the day that it started, that this building wasn't big enough anymore. The next building's not going to be big enough anymore. As long as the church draws near to God and His presence radiates through us. God's waiting for the day that He communes with His creation so close. And as we draw to a close for this service, I wonder if every hand lifted, if we can just begin to draw close to God. Let Him speak to us today. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to You right now, oh God, as a broken people, as people that need Your healing. But God, we also need Your face. God, we need to see Your face more than anything else. God, because if we draw near to You, Your Word says that You will draw near to us. God, so we draw close to you today, God, that we can hear your voice. God, that we can see your face and that your glory would be reflected in my life. God, it's not about the blessings. It's not about what you can do in my life. But God, it's about what you can do through me today. God, let your anointing rest upon this church body right now. Oh, God, draw us, I pray, into your presence, Lord. Speak a word to us today, I pray, oh God, not as a body, but Lord, speak to individuals today, to every heart and to every mind. We thank you, Jesus, for what you're going to do. We thank you for it, Lord. In the name of Jesus. As a church body, don't live on the verge of revival. But let's move forward as a body. Let's step in to what God wants. And more importantly, as we step into revival, we'll be drawing closer to God and hearing His voice speak every individual so that we can be led of his spirit. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed for about 10 minutes.